audio is from Deering Christian Church. Join us Sunday mornings at either 9 or 10.30 a.m. I got a challenge for you. Try talking a truly good man or woman into running for high political office and see how far you get. And when I say high political office, I'm not talking about anything local. I'm not even talking about anything state. I'm talking about like the big time here, like you pack your bags and you head to Washington, D.C. And um, I can tell you right now, I can think of a number of people, maybe I don't know them personally. But I can think of a number of people, and some I do know personally, that I would love to see in a position like that, and they're never going to do it. They're just not going to because, and it's nothing new, it's been this way for centuries. If you want to get your name drugged through the dirt, run for high political office. If they can't find any dirt, they'll make the dirt up, all right? That's unfortunately the way it works now. That's the way it's worked for a long time. So men and women who do that, truly good men and women, I appreciate them, I applaud them, and I am thankful for them because it's not going to be easy. Well, today's passage of Scripture, guess what? It includes politicians, it includes their past, and for them it includes the resurrection of a major problem, all right? Um, Just so we're all on board here, we went through Acts chapter 3 last week, and there was an incredible thing that took place. Peter and John, as I said, this is the acts of the Holy Spirit working through the apostles, the Holy Spirit working through Peter and John. They healed a man who had been lame from birth, hadn't been able to walk from birth. He was 40 years old. They healed him. After this had taken place, this incredible sign through them, this sign of the mighty works of God, they began to preach the gospel. As we saw last week, for them, it was never not a good time to talk about Jesus. And they seized that opportunity. I think we're going to see that a lot in the book of Acts. Well, they seize the opportunity. They're preaching about Jesus. And they're saying how this man was healed. He was healed through the name, faith in the name of Jesus Christ. It was a joyful scene. It was an exciting scene. It took place in the portico or the colonnade of Solomon. Now, that was a pretty big place within the court of women, as we talked about last week, in the temple. Um, There's something else that's really, really important. They did not, I know this doesn't sound like a big deal now, but it will become a big deal before we're done. They did not do this on the Sabbath. This was not a Sabbath day when this took place. We'll come back full circle to that here in just a moment. After this had taken place, the guys leaping, jumping, running, praising God. It drew a crowd, and there is a lot of excitement. And then guess what? The politicians show up. So let's take a look at it. Chapter 4, the first couple of verses. Here we go. As they were speaking to the people, speaking the gospel to the people, the priests and the captain of the temple guard and the Sadducees came up to them being greatly disturbed because they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. All right, two groups that we're going to focus on a little bit today. The first one is this. The, the politician show up, the first of which was the captain of the temple guard. Um, this was more than just a 
uh, a police type of position, all right? This captain of the temple guard within the temple, he was from the family of the high-ranking priest. He ranked only behind the current high priest when it came to his authority, and he was responsible for maintaining order within the temple. Now, one thing we need to remember about the temple in that day, the temple that's no longer there, it would be destroyed uh, about 20 years later, so 20, 25 close to 30 years later. And, um, but in, the, in one corner kind of of that temple, you have what was called the Tower of Antonia. And within that tower was Roman authority. Okay, And it could house as many as 500 Roman soldiers. So this captain of the temple guard, who had nothing to do with them, wanted to make sure that order was maintained. Because the last thing you wanted was Roman soldiers filing out of that tower like ants. All right, Because it usually did not go very well when that took place. So this man is responsible for maintaining order, maintaining peace there. There's a big crowd listening to Peter and John preach the gospel at this point in time. So just being a big crowd there, an excitable crowd, makes him a little bit nervous, all right? Not to mention the content of what these guys are talking about. Now, the next group are the Sadducees. A little bit more about them here in just a second. I'll tell you this. They held the highest political power in New Testament times. Yes, they they were politicians. That's what they were. They were religious politicians and they opposed like the temple guard and the temple captain of the temple guard they opposed anything that might catch the attention of the Romans okay the only thing that they did not mind catching the attention of the Romans is because they lacked the power to do so they didn't have the power to kill Jesus a few weeks before this and they needed the help of the Romans So that was one of the few times you will see them wanting to gain the attention of the Romans. Now, one other thing about the Sadducees, they did not believe in a bodily resurrection. So when you have Peter and John out here talking about resurrection, the physical resurrection of people, even more specifically, not any resurrection, the resurrection of Jesus, the guy that had just died a few weeks before this, they are... Very, very nervous about all of this taking place. All right, let's, let's continue on. Verse 3 says this. They saw this preaching taking place, and in verse 3, they laid hands on them, and they put them in jail until the next day, for it was already evening. Now, what we need to understand, brothers and sisters, as we looked at last week, when this miracle was performed, it was about 3 o'clock in the afternoon. So what that tells us is, This preaching had gone on for a while now. It had been several hours of excitement. It had been several hours of preaching taking place. And as we see this happening, um, there's some things that, that really, really become a big deal. Let's go ahead and continue on. Chapter 4, verse 4 for me. I'm going to have to turn the page right in the middle of it. Apologize for that. It says this. But as many of those who had heard the message believed, and the number of the men came to be about 5,000. So, Luke, the author of Acts, makes it very clear to us that the growing number of converts, that the number of those following Jesus is growing. And look at that verse 4, what it says. It says the number of who? The number of who came to be about 5,000? Number of men. That's not, only, that's not all the people that are coming to the Lord. So we're talking about a group here that is probably way more than 5,000 people. So we have the apostles here. They are taken 
I mean, they're arrested. They're taken that night. As, we, as we'll find out, they're probably somebody else with them when this takes place. And what we're going to find out once again, and I told you this is a continual theme throughout the book of Acts. I've already said it once today, and we'll say it a lot of times in the next few months. It's never not a good time to talk about Jesus. The audience can change, but guess what? The message never changes. The message hasn't changed for 2,000 years. All right, so let's take a look at it. Chapter 4, verses 5 and 6. On the next day. So, we've got Peter and John. They spent the night in prison. On the next day, the rulers, the elders, and scribes were gathered together in Jerusalem. And Annas, the high priest, was there. And Caiaphas, and John, and Alexander, and all who were of high priestly descent. All right. We're not just talking here with this group of men about just any Jews. Guys, understand something. This is the Supreme Court and the Senate of the Jews. You did not separate the religious world from the political world. They were very much joined together at the hip. So you've got the Senate and you've got the Supreme Court here. Now, they have a name. We don't see this name in the Bible, but we see the other description of what the name represents. The name is this, the Sanhedrin. This is the high court and, again, the Senate of the Jews. Um, who made up the Sanhedrin was, was one man who was the high priest and then 70 others to back him up. And they got this from, if you look to Numbers and Exodus of the Old Testament, when Moses was leading Israel at the time, he gathered 70 elders about him to help judge when it came to civil cases and that sort of thing. So they've been doing this for a long time. They met in a building that was just west of the temple precincts. The Sadducees, as I've already told you, they held the majority of the power at this time in the Sanhedrin. But the other political group over time here, what we have, we got, we got Republicans and Democrats these days back then. They had Sadducees and Pharisees, all right? So you got Pharisees who are part of this as well. They are in a minority, but they are a very powerful minority. I told you, very political, all right? So now let's get into some names. The first one mentioned is Annas. He is the high priest. Now, what you might not know just looking at Acts, but we know from history, by this point in time, he is the former high priest, the ex-high priest, if you will. He held the office for nine years, and he was still the power behind the seat, all right? I mean, we, we oftentimes, whether we really like a president or dislike a president, we often go after them. Guys, most of the time, there's other people pushing those buttons of that president, all right? That's just the way that it's worked for years, the way it worked back then as well. So you've got Annas. He's not the current high priest, but he does hold the power. Get this. <laughs> he would have five sons who would be high priests. He and he would have one grandson who would be a high priest in his lifetime. And he had a son-in-law who was the high priest at this time. And his name was Caiaphas. Caiaphas, the son-in-law, the current high priest. These two, by the way, Annas and Caiaphas, were right in the middle of Jesus and his mockery of a trial just weeks before. So let's keep that in our minds. All right, let's look back to the text, beginning with verse 7. This is what it says. When they had placed them, Peter and John, in the center, they began to inquire, by what power or in what name have you done this? Meaning the miracle, healing this man. Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, rulers and elders of the people, if we are on trial today, 
for a benefit done to a sick man as to how this man has been made well, let it be known to all of you and to all of the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ, the Nazarene, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by this name, this man stands here before you in good health. He is the stone which was rejected by you, the builders, but which became the chief cornerstone. They bring these two men, probably three men, get into that in just a second, out of prison, put them before the Supreme Court here. I mean, they're not, all, they're not taking the, the place of a Senate here. They're, they're, they're taking the place, the position of the Supreme Court. They put them down front and center, and they ask Peter and John, how did, how did you do this? How has this man been made well? Let me tell you something, guys. And I doubt there's a version of the Bible out here who does just, that does justice to what is kind of left out because I'm not sure the English language does it well enough. Look at verse 7, okay? He asked him, the, the, the high priest probably asks them, how did you do this? It's very tough to translate the manner in which this question was asked. And what I mean that by this, going to get just a little technical, a little grammary for you here just for a second. The position in the Greek of the pronoun conveys scorn. So I'm just going to give you a, a, a paraphrase of what this would look like to Peter and John. This is what they're asked. Place front and center. How could people like you do this? How could people like you, you know, you, you hayseeds from Galilee, how could people like you do this? Now, before Peter and John open up their mouths and reply, let's look at something here. This is the first recorded opportunity for us to witness the fulfillment of Jesus' prophecy for his apostles. He talked about it in Luke 12, as well as Luke 21, as well as in the other gospel accounts that we have. When he said this, the day will come when you will be placed before authorities. And when that day comes, do not worry about what you're going to say. Because I will speak through you. And in 21, he brings the Holy Spirit into that. Through my spirit, I will speak through you. You know what the Greek says literally? Jesus tells them, he says, when you find yourself accused before authority, I, this is Jesus speaking, will be your mouth. I will be your mouth. And that's exactly what we see take place here. So, verse 9, they jump into it. So if we're on trial here for the benefit done to this man who was lame, um, It's through Jesus that we did it. Understand something, like I told you earlier, when Jesus would heal people in the temple or in a synagogue at different times, he did did it seemingly almost on purpose. Sometimes he was set up in a trap. Every single time they tried to set Jesus up in a trap, it backfired. Okay, you think they would have learned? Uh, But there were times when he would perform a healing on the Sabbath, and this would catch a lot of attention, right? Can't heal on the Sabbath, goodness gracious. Now, The thing is, the apostles here, they did not do this. And they're looking at them and says, what are we on trial here for? Because we did something good for somebody? It didn't take place on the Sabbath. And the healed man is standing there right with them, as we'll see in the next couple of verses. We don't know if he spent the night with them in prison. As we looked at last week, it said that he like sowed himself to Peter and John. He clung to them. So I'm guessing when they put Peter and John in prison, that guy went with them. 
Okay? If not, then they called him in as a witness for the trial. But I'm guessing he was right there in that prison cell with them. So he is standing right in front of them, and they cannot deny what has taken place. Now, at this point in time, Peter's still speaking, and I'll tell you, guys, you know this well. Keep it simple, all right? If something isn't broke, what? Don't fix it. If it ain't broke, don't fix it. Peter says the exact same message here that he's already spoken a couple of times before, and he will continue to say, this Jesus, you killed him, God raised him. You killed him, God raised him. Now here, he had said that to the crowds the day before, and he had said it several weeks before, okay? Here he's saying it before the ones who were very responsible for Jesus being on that cross. They're the ones that put him on trial. They're the ones that handed him over to Pilate. They say, by the name of Jesus, this man stands, not lays down, because he is healed. By the name of Jesus, this man stands before you. Then he goes on into verse 11, says, he was the stone rejected by you who became the chief cornerstone. If, if, you, if you were a builder in that day and time, the chief cornerstone set the parameters for everything else that would be built. Incredibly important. And he says he is the chief cornerstone. Technically, Peter and John are the defendants in this. They're the ones on trial here. But they, they, t- they took their, their defendant robes and threw them off. And they put on the, the robes of a prosecutor. They turned the tables on the court. And they said, you rejected him. The chief cornerstone and in saying this they quoted the 118th psalm which was widely known amongst the jews to be messianic meaning it spoke of the messiah that was to come jesus used this exact same passage to talk about himself his apostles would fall in line and do the same thing again and again and again he is the stone he is the cornerstone jesus christ look at verse 12 i mean (laughs) i mean peter's just flat out preaching the gospel right here okay He doesn't care who's listening, he's going to do it. Verse 12, he says this, And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven that which, that has been given among men, by which we must be saved. And I know in the back of Peter and John's mind, as these words are coming out of their mouths, is Jesus saying, like I said just a few weeks earlier, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. And after saying those words, it would be a matter of hours before he was hanging on a cross, making the way to the Father possible for us. Yes, this is what they're doing. If it isn't broke, don't fix it. They are preaching the gospel. You know, it was been a See here, time really flies. I cannot believe it's May. I mean, May 2022. That's just mind-boggling to me. And if I'm thinking right, I think it was about three and a half months ago that I gave, uh, I didn't call, I sent a text message to JB about 5.30 on a Sunday morning saying, sorry, not going to be there. (laughs) Can you preach? We were wrapping up a sermon series that we had been working on for several weeks, and he gets the phone call Hours before church, sorry, can't be there. <laughs> Can you please? And then I went to a KU game. No, just kidding. No, I, 
I went to my bathroom and puked and puked and puked and puked. Now, this is typically what takes place. I don't like that. I, I, I don't like it. I went almost 14 years without throwing up. I know that's dumb. That's not smart because sometimes you just get it over with and you're going to feel better, all right? That didn't happen that day. I mean, I'm thinking in my mind, okay, just get it over with. It'll be over and done with. That's supposed to be what happens. And then it was probably an hour and a half later by then, probably about 8 o'clock, 8.30. Things are just getting rolling in here, you know. The worship team's practicing and stuff. And I was at home, and I got this sickening realization <laughs> that this isn't over yet. <laughs> Not a fun day. Not a fun day. I'll tell you something about the Senate and the High Court in that day, the Sanhedrin, is they have these two men standing in front of them. They cannot help but be impressed by these hayseeds, by these rednecks, okay? These were not educated men, meaning Peter and John. And the religious theological elite, that's, that's what you're talking about with the Sanhedrin, they did not intimidate these two in the least. And let me tell you something. Now, I don't know this for certain, but I am guessing that some of the wiser of the Sanhedrin were beginning to get all too familiar, familiarly uncomfortable. And they began thinking, you know, there was another. There was another guy who, who wasn't intimidated by the religious elite. There was another guy that often intimidated the religious elite, that put to shame the religious elite. And that guy backed up everything he said with miraculous signs. And then this sickening realization began to set in as they looked at Peter and John, these two fishermen from Galilee. Take a look at it in verse 13. I have written in my Bible besides this verse, shocking realization. <laughs> See what it says. Now, as they observed the confidence of Peter and John and understood that they were uneducated and untrained men, they were amazed and began to recognize them as having been with who? With Jesus. That to recognize. If, if, if you're a part of, of our Wednesday night class, we looked at this a week ago this past Wednesday night. And we looked at a particular word that's often translated know. Here it's translated recognize. It's a verb in the Greek. And it is a powerful word. It's epigonosko. And it means to know something. It means to powerfully know something. In other words, in verse 13, what it's getting at is this. They're looking at Peter and John and it like the light bulb turns on, it dawns on them. Whoa, 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 wait a second. I think we've seen these guys before. And I think we've seen him with, saw him with Jesus. You see, the result of this realization was this. They were speechless. The Sanhedrin was speechless. Look at verse 14. And seeing the man who had been healed standing with them, they had nothing to say in reply. Can you imagine going to Washington, D.C., walking into Congress, and all of those blabbermouths in there got nothing to say? 
I mean, can you imagine that? This is the Senate, people. They always got something to say. They look at Peter and John. They look at the man who had been healed, and they're speechless. That's a miracle in and of itself. Let's continue on. Verse 15. But when they ordered them to leave the council, they began to confer with one another, saying, what shall we do with these men? By the way, that's one of the best compliments any in the, anybody in the world, any authority in the world can ever say of a brother or sister in Christ. What are we going to do with these people? <laughs> what are we going to do with these men? For the fact that a noteworthy miracle has taken place through them is apparent to all who live in Jerusalem. We can't deny it. But so that it will not spread any further among the people, let us warn them to speak no longer to any man in this name. They don't even say the name. In the name of Jesus. I'll tell you what, what a great plan. Let's tell these guys they can't say anything anymore. Just zip it. As Barney Fife would say, nip it. Nip it in the bud, Andy. Nip it in the bud, all right? I got a question for you. What else were they going to do in this situation? The people in the temple are amazed. They, they, if they try to punish these guys, there is going to be a riot. They performed this miracle. It wasn't done on the Sabbath. People had seen it. They did nothing wrong. There's something here that we need to make sure we don't overlook. We talked last week about how important it is still for our faith today, our defense of our faith today. There's a fancy name for it. It's called apologetics. And it's, it's when we are put in the place that we defend our faith in Christ. We defend what we believe about Christ. God can take care of himself, all right? But our faith in him sometimes needs to be defended. Apologetics. And I told you last week how one of the primary evidences we have of Jesus Christ and his power that still exists today because, he's, because he lives is the eyewitness testimony of those who saw him after his resurrection. I'm going to tell you another, another piece of evidence right here, okay guys? Now, this is on the other side of the aisle. This is the opposition. The Sanhedrin, neither here nor anywhere else in the entire book of Acts, took any significant action to disprove the foundation of the message and the movement of the followers of Jesus. What I mean by that is this. What stood front and center? What was the most important thing for these people calling themselves Christians? What was the bedrock foundation of their faith? Jesus Christ is what? He is alive. They don't say anything about that. Are you, are you telling? They absolutely would have produced the body of Jesus if they had been able. Okay, you say he's alive. We're going to nip this. as We're going to nip it in the bud right here. Here's the body of Jesus. Okay, and kill the movement just like that. What's the problem? They didn't have the body of Jesus. They could not end this. They couldn't. And here's another thing to keep in mind about this group, okay? Stick, stick a finger there in Acts chapter 4 and turn over to Matthew 28. Matthew 28. Just something we need to 
consistently be aware of and reminded of as we look through this and look at these apostles on trial. We'll remember this because this isn't the first time, this is the first time, it isn't the last time that they will be on trial for their faith. So we're going to look at Acts 28 beginning with verse 11. This is what it says. Now while they were on their way and they is they are the women who went to see the tomb of Jesus and they found the thing was empty and the stone was rolled away and they met Jesus. And while they were on their way back to the disciples, some of the guard came to the city and reported to the chief priests all that had happened. Like the tomb got opened, there was a blinding light and like Jesus left. <laughs> okay. When they had assembled with the elders and consulted together, they gave them a large sum of money. They gave a large sum of money to the soldiers and they said, you are to say his disciples came by night and stole him away while we were asleep. And if this should come within the governor's ears, we will win him over and keep you out of trouble. They took the money and did as they were instructed. And this story has been widely spread among the Jews and is to this day. The Sanhedrin, the Supreme Court and Senate here, they knew exactly what had happened. (laughs) If they could have gone and found the body of Jesus and ended this thing right here and now, they would have done it. They just couldn't. That's the problem for them. That is hugely important for our faith yet today as we defend it. All right. Now it's weeks later. And the Sanhedrin are finding out that the crucifixion was no victorious ending for them. It was only the beginning of Jesus and his kingdom. <laughs> you talk about an issue from the past coming and biting you in the backside. They're going to have some issues. Let's, let's wrap this up down, verses 18 through 22. And when they had summoned them, Peter and John, they commanded them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. And look at this. But Peter and John answered and said to them, Whether it is right in the sight of God to give heed to you rather than to God, you be the judge. For we cannot stop speaking about what we have seen and heard. When they had threatened them further, they let them go, finding no basis on which to punish them. They let them go on account of the people because they were all glorifying God for what had happened. For the man was more than 40 years old on whom this miracle of healing had been performed. You know what God is all about? God to this day is all about powerful realizations. This poor Sanhedrin, for them it was a sickening realization. The Jesus, the Jesus movement, it's just getting started. It's not over. The other side of the realization spectrum is this. The people who thank God for powerful realizations. The disciples saw him alive. They touched him. Some of them put their fingers into the wounds on his hands. He invited Thomas to put his hand to the wound on his side. They ate with him. They spoke with him. 
they saw him ascend into heaven. For them, the realization was a welcome one. He lives. For the brothers and sisters, all brothers and sisters in Christ, we thank God for powerful realization. When we look back upon our history, because it happens for all. I don't care if you're raised in a home where you heard about the gospel. I mean, you were going to VBS before you could even talk. You know what I'm saying? You were in the VBS nursery. You know what I'm saying? Okay, and maybe that's you. Maybe that's you. Here's the thing, though. Mom and dad's faith does not save you. Now, mom and dad would love it if that was the way it worked. It just does not work that way. For many of us, myself included, who who was raised, had the privilege of being raised in an environment like that, I still had to come to a realization one day, and it happened for me at, at intermediate, they don't even have intermediate camp anymore, but intermediate camp out at Hidden Haven where it hit me, and it finally hit me for real that Jesus died for me, and he lives. That realization changed my life. Maybe for some others, that, that's not your story. You would have loved to have been raised in a home that magnified the name of Jesus Christ, but you, you weren't. And perhaps this came about, maybe somebody invited you to camp when you were a high schooler. Maybe much later on in life, you heard somebody or somebody from work started talking to you about this Jesus guy. But as time went on, it began to grab a hold of you. And then the moment came when God spoke to you and he called you. And you realized, this is real. He lives and it changed your life. For those of us on this side of that realization, we thank God for it. 